Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. And he fought this guy named Big Boom. And all I can remember was, I can beat this guy. And I immediately was like, you know, sign me up. I'll fight this guy next week. I just, you know, thought, I was like, this is going to be easy. You know, I got in the ring and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to win. And none of that, you know, none of it worked out. You know, he started punching me and kicking me. And then all your whole game plan goes out the window. And by round two, I'm exhausted. I'm so tired. And I just thought, oh my God, get me out of this ring. But you can't. is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles here. Today, I am with Johnny FD, who's a location-independent entrepreneur who quit his corporate job in 2008 to begin traveling the world, working as a scuba diving instructor, and fighting professionally in the sport of Muay Thai kickboxing. Since then, he's made hundreds of thousands of dollars building and selling online businesses and has been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company, Entrepreneur Magazine, and the BBC. He's the author of two books about his experiences. The first one is called 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life on the Cheap. And the second one is called Life Changes Quick, Simple Tips to Getting Rich, Fit, and Even Finding Love. Johnny is the host of two popular podcasts, Travel Like a Boss and Invest Like a Boss. He's also the founder of the Nomad Summit, an annual event in Chiang Mai, Thailand that attracts over 400 location-independent entrepreneurs and digital nomads from around the world. The event just ended, and I was honored to be a speaker at it this year. So, Johnny, thank you for having me as a speaker, and welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. I'm very impressed with this studio setup that I cannot believe you carry around with you in a carry-on luggage. That's one of the uh, <laughs> one of the uh, things that I have worked hard uh, on figuring out how to do. So I wanted to be able to do a podcast with nice quality gear. So as you can see here, I've got a Heil PR40 microphone with a pop filter and a shock mount and a boom arm and a mixer and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the reality is that it does not take up that much space if you, you know, condense it and pack it properly. And so uh, one of the things that I 
uh, offered uh, uh, you know, to the attendees of the Nomad Summit was access to a video on how I pack for a, traveling the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only, which includes a mobile podcasting studio. And I'm very impressed because not only are you traveling that light, but you also always look good. Every time I see you, you look, you know, you look like you're professional. You don't look like a dirty backpacker. You're always looking fresh. And today when I walked into the studio, I was like, I, I, my mind is blown. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Many years of uh, of experience trying to figure that out. You know, I uh, left the U.S. not quite as long ago as you did, but I left the U.S. Uh, in about 2013. So over the last five years, I've lived in 45 different countries. Uh, and over the course of that time, like when I left the U.S. the first time and I was going to go live, uh, you know, abroad in other countries for a while, I went to Buenos Aires for a few months and I went to Egypt and I was living in Cairo for a number of months and um, I was just, I packed an enormous amount of luggage. I mean, it was just crazy. I was, you know, giant check bags and I was bringing all this uh, crazy stuff with me. And as you go and you travel around trying to carry that amount of luggage, you, you're first of all like, this is hell on earth. You know, checking this luggage, carrying this luggage, lugging it around. And secondly, I was like, I'm not using an enormous amount of the things that I have brought, right? And so you kind of very strategically, are, 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 or at least I was, quickly incentivized to figure out how to get down to the things that you really need um, and then how to, you know, pack strategically. So I did, I put a video together uh, on it. We'll, we'll link to that video uh, below in the show notes, but I offered it to your, um, you know, to your audience there at the Nomads. So there was over 400 people and it was interesting because we went to the, when we went to the Q&A, you know, so the first questions were, you know, about the packing stuff, right? Like I was talking about uh, you know how a lot of my clothes are made out of merino wool. It's a very unique, uh, has very unique properties, right? For for travel purposes, anyways, right? So one is that it's temperature regulating. So when it's hot outside, it helps you get cooler. If it's cool outside, it helps you be warmer. Uh, and it's also antimicrobial and doesn't retain odor, right? So I was saying to your audience for the stage, you know, in terms of some travel hacks, you know, the, the, the proposition of these merino wool clothing companies, you can wear the shirt for forty days in a row and it doesn't retain any odor. So I was explaining all my running gear, my socks, you know, even my dress shirts are made out of merino wool. And so it was funny because at the Q&A, even though I talked about all this entrepreneur and business building stuff and everything, uh, people were like, where do I buy that merino wool stuff? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because I think a lot of the, the people at the Nomad Summit, well, obviously everyone is already in Thailand or already in Chiang Mai. So they've taken that big first step already. So a lot of them already either have a source of online income or they had a pretty good, good idea of how to make money while traveling. And a lot of people are kind of getting to that next level now. They're like, okay, Chiang Mai is great. Love it here. But I want to explore the rest of the world. But I would love to do it in style. And right. I think that's where you came in. Right. Well, I loved that, uh, you know, when we went out for that speaker dinner at that nice restaurant, uh, you were wearing a merino wool uh, shirt from Libertad, which was the exact same shirt, but in a different color that I was wearing on stage at the Nomad Summit. Yeah. And what's even cooler is the guy who invented that shirt or the, the creator of that company, Kyle, is from... Was not from Chiang Mai, but he is a nomad, Chiang Mai digital nomad, and I was friends with him before he even made that shirt, uh, and I only bought it. I, I had no idea I would even like a merino wool shirt. I literally just bought it to help support his Kickstarter, and 
you know, a year later when it finally came out, I was like, this is a great shirt. So I've been wearing it ever since. Yeah, it's it's a really nice shirt. Um, one of the things that I have found in trying to buy merino wool gear, um, you know, I, I'll use a company like Icebreaker is probably where most of my stuff comes from, but that's like my t-shirts and my running shirts and my socks and my long sleeve base layers and that kind of stuff. But like when you want to get nice looking clothes, like a long sleeve collar shirt that looks good, that's the part where, you know, I'll order stuff from some of these merino wool companies or try it on and it just is not in any way stylish, doesn't fit very well. You know, and for me anyways, it just hasn't been really up to par. And so the the proposition of the Libertad company they make one thing. I mean, at the time that you and I are recording this, they literally have one product, which is one shirt that comes in four colors. Like, that's all that they have. Um, but they put an enormous amount of time into the design of that shirt and the fashion element of that shirt in addition to the material that it's made out of. And I think incredibly worthwhile. I've definitely got uh, a couple of those and uh, wear them all the time. And what I really like about that is this really kind of shows Digital Nomad 2.0 where it's no longer just about living cheaply in countries like Thailand, building a, a small business where we're just getting by off of you know, the lowest cost of living. This really reflects the kind of the growth and the maturity of the digital nomad movement where people like you and I, but also all the customers of Libertad are you know, starting to you know, kind of demand kind of higher quality life choices, you know, where we're still traveling, we still want to be minimalistic, we still want to pack light, but we don't mind spending more money for better quality, you know, experiences and gear. That's the main thing, right, is that I think that the concept of minimalism, uh, for me anyways, is if I'm going to have fewer things, those fewer things can be nicer things, you know what I mean? So I will absolutely spend that extra money. Like the Libertad shirt that we're talking about, I think probably costs $125, right? But because it's a merino wool shirt and because all this other stuff, you don't need an entire closet full of shirts. So you have much fewer shirts, but they're nicer shirts, and you're going to pay that much to get the quality and look that you want. So for anyone who's shaking their head right now saying, that is stupid, I would never spend $125 on a shirt. Or you might be saying, I can't afford $125 for a shirt. I want you to ask yourself these kind of couple questions. Actually, you can just do this exercise. Pause this podcast, go into your closet right now, and just quickly add up the cost of everything, everything that's in your closet, all the shirts in your closet, just quickly on your, on your phone calculator and see how much that cost you when you had bought it. Even though a lot of the, you know, the shirts you bought, you bought on sale you know, for $15 or maybe even $8, you know, there's a couple items that were, you know, $30, $40. I guarantee you by the time you add it all up, even if you just added up the shirts that you actually don't wear very often, if you just took all the shirts in your closet that you haven't worn in the last month, I guarantee you it's going to be hundreds of dollars. And I want you to think, what if I just never bought these other items in the first place? What if I had just bought the couple really quality items that I knew that I would keep forever. Right. And in that sense, the, the concept of minimalism for me has been you can get actually higher quality stuff, right? So you were saying, I mean, you can look a particular way, you can dress a particular way, you can you can have high quality stuff because you have less of it. So you can literally have the same budget for clothes. You don't have to change your clothing budget. <laughs> You're just buying less uh, and therefore you can buy nicer stuff. So um, so yeah, so it was it was really interesting. I mean, I, I literally, I, when I came down from the, from the stage after my talk we were on the break i literally had like five guys 
standing around me who had approached me, audience members, and they were like, can I touch your shirt? I literally had five guys say, let me see what that merino wool feels like. This is a nice button-down dress shirt. They're like, merino wool, let me see what that feels like. Because you know, this is a non-itch. I mean, you doesn't, you know. So, so it, was, uh, it was kind of hilarious that that was sort of the, you know, sort of auxiliary sort of travel tip that I had at the end of my talk on building a location-independent business. And yet that was the thing that all these people latched onto. Yeah, I love it. And if you guys want to see the talk, we're going to put it on YouTube for free. Just keep subscribed to The Maverick Show. I'm sure you'll, you'll have a link to it. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. By the time we publish this episode, it'll be out. So we'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, Johnny, let's, uh, let's talk about your journey. I did a, a bit of an overview in the bio there, but let's you know, talk a little bit about that in more detail. And, and let's go back to 2008. Uh, you were in a corporate job. You were living in California. Uh, there may be a number of people listening to this podcast who are currently in a corporate job and they may be making decent money or whatever, but it's not entirely fulfilling to them. And they may be learning a little bit about the digital nomad lifestyle or the concept of creating location independence. Obviously, uh, for me and you, we're very influenced by Tim Ferriss's uh, book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which really popularized that concept. Uh, but that came out 10 years ago, right? So take us a little bit on your journey uh, uh, you know, from your corporate job uh, on your trajectory that got you here today. Yeah. So Back in actually, I actually started kind of late 2007, beginning 2008, actually before the the big uh, crisis. So it was actually a weird time to go because everyone was like, "Why are you leaving? Life is great, you know. Every you know, there's all this money everywhere. Everybody was super generous. I actually, I literally remember any time we would go to a bar, I would have friends fight for the check, just say it's on me, it's on me, and everyone thought I was insane for leaving to Thailand at the time. But I just wasn't very fulfilled. You know, I had a decent corporate job. I had, you know, offers to invest in all these, you know, crazy things to make money. And literally, it seemed like everybody was making money. You know, people were, you know, uh, buying houses, taking out the, taking out a loan on the equity, and just cashing out, you know, thirty grand, you know, just doing for really doing nothing. And I had a good life. You know, uh, I was living in in LA at the time, uh, and it seemed like it, everything was great. You know, but deep down inside. I was using kind of external factors to try to make myself happy. I would buy cars that I couldn't afford or, you know, just try to make the payment on. I was living in a house that, you know, probably was cost too much for, for what I was actually earning at the time. I was buying a lot of clothes. You know, I spent a ton of money on clothes, uh, you know, trying to impress, you know, other guys, but also, you know, girls, right? Like, Hey, you know, look at me, I'm cool. I'm, you know, sticking out, uh, and I'm living the LA life, you know, and a lot of that led to kind of just a life of just, you know, insecurity and unhappiness. So that led me through a whole bunch of self-help books, you know, from all things like the game, trying to learn how to pick up women, but then to the secret of just, you know, saying, okay, maybe I'm just, you know, not my mindset's not right. I have to start thinking more positively. Uh, then luckily it also led me to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which got me to start thinking about, you know, buying assets instead of wasting money on liabilities and also, luckily, it led me to the four-hour work week. And I happened to read that book on the plane going to Thailand on my first vacation ever to Thailand. Wow. And that's what kind of set the whole, the whole scene. I got to Phuket, and I was with my two cousins, and we were wearing $2 t-shirts, $3 flip-flops, a pair of shorts, and I was like, this is the life. I'm, I'm happy. And I, I didn't want to go back. 
So you went here, you vacationed it, you saw the lifestyle, you saw the opportunity, uh, and then, but you still had your job, you still had the income stream, you needed the income to cover your lifestyle expenses and all of that. So you had sort of a framework, you had read the four-hour work week for what was possible, but then how did you structure your transition? So on my last week in Thailand, on, on my last week of vacation, I went scuba diving for the first time. And I had such an amazing moment just jumping in that water. It was like jumping through Stargate into this other world. And I just remember thinking, why didn't anyone tell me about this sooner? And I was angry because I was like, other people must have known how cheap and easy it is to go on a dive. And I was just annoyed that it seemed like this impossible task that was reserved for millionaires or National Geographic explorers. And I thought, hey, there was a big chance I would have went my whole life without ever doing this. And that would have been the biggest shame in the world. And at that moment, just on that dive boat, I asked for a pen and paper. And just from memory, I started writing out, you know, everything in the four-hour work week worksheets, the the deal, the um, you know, especially the automation part, the elimination and the automation part, where I thought, okay, what can I get rid of? What can I automate? And how much would it cost to live here? Uh, and how long can I last? So I thought, hey, if I sell all my stuff, if I sell my furniture, if I sell my car, uh, and I use what little savings I have, I could probably stay in Thailand for you know six to 12 months without having to work. And then I can always go back, get a job, uh, and then figure it out from there. But never happened. Wow. So you planned all this on the dive boat, which I agree is an amazingly inspirational thing for people that have not been scuba diving or have not been scuba diving in Thailand. It's a really special place and it's much less expensive, I found. Uh, so I had gotten certified actually in California, in LA, got like a Groupon, you know, for a scuba cert thing. So it was like half off, whatever. So I got the basic scuba cert there and I've been scuba diving like a couple times in my life, you know. Uh, but then I came to Thailand and they have the international, you know, the paddy and everything. It's all internationally, you know, certified and stuff. Um, and but it's much less expensive to get that. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to get my advanced cert because I was in um, Koh Phangan last year on the island, right, living on the beach. So the dive shop is right down the road. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get my advanced cert here for pretty much less than I could do it anywhere else in the world. And you get to go out on these amazing dives. And sure enough, we go on a dive, and then there's a whale shark that comes over, and we swam with this whale shark for like 10 minutes. I mean, it was just totally epic. I mean, a lot of people come. Uh, you know, to Thailand to try to hope to possibly maybe see a whale shark. And it happens, uh, you know, it's a very rare thing. I mean, these are, these are enormous, like super friendly, you know, animals, uh, and they're just extraordinarily beautiful and amazing. Uh, and so it was like, I mean, I had only, you know, I did a few dives in Thailand and all of a sudden I was saw the whale shark and it swam with us for like 10 minutes and people were like, I've been coming here for months and months and months. I've never seen one. So it was amazing. Well, it took me 300 plus dives dives before I saw my first one. Wow. But it made it that much more worth it. Yeah. And seeing them in the wild when you're scuba diving is an epic experience. You know, there are places in the world, you know, like the Philippines or in Utila where you can, you know, chase them down on a, on a boat and, and jump in and, and snorkel with them. But it's different. Like when you just see one, you know, in nature, in the wild, it's not like going to a zoo. It's not like going on, you know, some package tour where they guarantee it to you, it is like, 
I mean, it's it's like being in the woods and having you know a moose walk up to you or panther or something. It's 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 really a beautiful experience. So okay, so so you wrote down your your sort of goals and your strategy and your plan, and then how did you execute? And what were the next six to twelve months like for you? Yeah. So funny enough, I was so sure I was going to go back to the U.S. that. Because my lease was running out on my on the house I was renting, I asked my landlord if I can sign another year before I left, even though it wasn't actually due uh, until you know a few weeks after I returned. I just didn't want in the back of my head thinking, you know, when I come back, I don't want him to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to renew you for another year or we're going to raise the price. So I just wanted it out of the way. And unfortunately, you know, I had basically signed my life away for another year. Um, I also had two cars at the time. I had a kitchen full for, you know, of appliances and a house full of furniture. And I thought, okay, the smart, prudent way to do this would be give myself six months to a year to transition, slowly get rid of everything and take it from there. And after about two or three weeks, you know, just kind of telling a few people uh, about my plan, I just got bombarded with negativity, reasons why I shouldn't go and excuses. And a lot of it was scary, you know, and people would ask me questions I couldn't answer. Like, what are you going to do about healthcare or visas or something? And most of the people that were really negative had nothing to do with my life. You know, they weren't close friends. They weren't close family members. They were just people that I wouldn't even take dinner advice from. (laughs) Yet alone, they were bombarding me with just, you know, reasons why I shouldn't do this, why it was a bad idea. And I knew that if I didn't go right away, I would never do it. So I gave, I bought myself a plane ticket for three weeks out and I said, I'm going to figure it out. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever it takes, get rid of whatever I can. And, you know, I'm just going to make it happen. Uh, it wasn't easy. You know, I, I'm sure I didn't get as much for my car as I could have. I'm sure I didn't have everything planned out, but it all worked out. And so let's talk about that trajectory. So then you, you sell your stuff, you come to Thailand, you've got some level of a plan for how to subsist uh, for a particular period of time. So, you know, you've got a window to basically figure out what you're going to do to take you on this next path uh, and get you to the place that you want to go for for lifestyle. And somewhere in that time, uh, as we read in the intro, you started with the uh, Muay Thai kickboxing. So can you tell how that came about? Yeah. You know, so my first job was as a dive master. You know, I went there with without any formal training. I just had my open water, actually. <laughs> but I had this commitment. I said, I wanted to go from open water to dive master. You know, I have the thousand bucks or you know thirteen hundred bucks. And during that that portion, I I think I worked as a dive master for about a year and I really enjoyed it. But I was kind of, you know, missing some of the fitness aspects. Because even though you know, being in the water, you would think is like swimming, or it'd be a good, ex- you know, good exercise. It really is not. You're just kind of hanging out underwater. <laughs> and during my my off days, I thought, hey, why don't I try this Muay Thai thing? Just you know, just for fitness because it looked fun. And I don't know if it was fortunately or unfortunately that my ego got a hold of me. Where after about a month. Uh, I was watching one of the Swedish guys at the gym uh, actually have his first fight, and he fought this guy named Big Boom. And all I can remember was I can beat this guy, you know, because my so my my Swedish friend he lost, 
And I immediately was like, you know, sign me up. I'll fight this guy next week. <laughs> and wait a minute. You had been doing Muay Thai boxing just for a month? Yeah. And you had never done it before? I had never done it before. I never did any real fighting uh, martial art. Wow. And... I just, you know, thought I was like, this is going to be easy, you know, you know, and, and I think a lot of people go through this when they're watching sports. They're like, oh yeah, I could beat that guy, you know. <laughs> and luckily, luckily, it was the best lesson I've ever learned. You know, I got in the ring, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and then I'm gonna win. And none of that, you know, none of it worked out. You know, he started punching me and kicking me, and then all your whole game plan goes out the window. Yeah. And by round two, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm so tired. You know, it, it was it was more difficult than running. You know, three tough mutters back. You know, back to back. And I just thought, oh my god, get me out of this ring. But there, you can't. I mean, unless you you know physically throw in the towel, there's nothing you can do. So I basically just, you know just took it on the chin, literally, and said, okay, well, you know, I signed up for this. Let me just do what I can. And I, I lost that first fight. But I immediately was like, you know what? That was the best ego check I've ever got in my life. If I am going to do something, I'm going to have to train for it. I'm going to have to work for it. I can't just think my way into it. I can't just talk my way into it. I actually have to become that man. So I decided from that, you know, that point on, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to have a rematch with this guy, but I'm going to give myself a few months to train and I'm really going to do it, do it right. And so you were then, you were still a dive master. That's how you're generating your income. And just on the side, you had been doing the Muay Thai stuff, but then you took it and you wanted to go to the professional level and start doing, basically, were you able to make money from fighting? Yeah, actually it was, uh, not the, you know, best life. It's not like, uh, Mayweather money or anything. Right. Right. But I eventually the gym sponsored me and gave me a free place to live, uh, or at least a discounted place to live. I got free training because I was representing the gym, you know, and I would get you know five thousand baht per fight, which is about one hundred fifty bucks. But it was enough to live off of, you know, it was enough to to eat cheap Thai food. And all of a sudden, I found myself, you know, just being a professional fighter. I was living in a literal bamboo hut with a you know, a mattress on the floor, um, not even a mattress, a, a type, like a pad on the floor. I had an extension cable running into the window so I can plug my, th- my things in and a fan. And that was it. I had no chairs. I had, you know, no furniture. It was just, just me in this hut um, with my, well, and a mosquito net as well. That was kind of the, the luxury highlight of my, my combination at the time. Um, but I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I did that for a few years as well. And luckily, kind of during that whole process, I had been blogging about it. You know, I started a blog that's now not, no longer updated. It's myfightcamp.com. But I just wrote, you know, today I woke up at 6 a.m. went for this run. This is what I ate. This is how, what I had trained. This is how much it all cost. And I kind of just documented my whole journey, especially while I was bouncing around reviewing different gyms. I talked about the the journey of preparing for a fight and then how it felt afterwards and that kind of just kick-started the whole online business part of it even though when I started the blog I had no intention of actually making money from it and so how did you come to the 
consciousness or strategy and develop the idea to start monetizing your blog? And how did that evolve? Because I mean, one of the things that you're certainly well known for is documenting your journey uh, and documenting it with a high level of transparency, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, uh, and so forth. So, you know, how did you transition that into a income generating venture? Yeah, so I wish I would have known this this earlier because I had blogs about everything in my life, and you know sometimes it it's embarrassing to go back and find you know blogs that I wrote ten years ago when I was you know some insecure you know guy out of college trying to figure out life. Um, but what it was was I, I I had no other choice. I was like, all right, well, all I have is this blog. I don't really have any other skills. I don't want to go back to the U.S. to get a job. Uh, what can I do with it? And you know, doing some research, asking around, I've you know, realized a lot of people turn their blogs into eBooks. So I thought, okay, let me find the best posts. Let me just you know put it put it together. But kind of throughout that process, I, I ended up writing rewriting kind of ninety percent of that book because I realized I needed to to go into a chronicle order. I can't just copy and paste it. But it was a good framework. So you know, I had the ideas already, had a lot of the photos already. Um, and I had a lot of the, the raw data and the numbers like cost of living and, um, and information about, you know, getting visas and all that stuff. So I wrote my first book, 12 weeks in Thailand, the good life on the cheap, put it on Amazon and I started making, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month, which wasn't enough to live, but it was, it was a huge start. I thought, Hey, if I can make 200 bucks a month from writing this one book, I can, you know, figure out how to market it better, or I can write two more books. And if I can make $600 a month, I'm set. I'm staying in Thailand forever. <laughs> so let's actually divert a little bit from your story and talk a little bit about Thailand, uh, the living expenses here, the concept of lifestyle arbitrage, uh, and all of that. Because for folks that are not familiar with Thailand, have never been, maybe never been to Southeast Asia, uh, you know, maybe they're from a major city in the US, LA or something like that, and they understand that cost of living. Can you just sort of, I, I mean, I'd be interested for you to just, one, to contextualize and explain what the cost of living actually is in Thailand to live, you know, reasonably well. Um, but then also, I would be interested in hearing your sort of take on Chiang Mai, the situation here, and how it has evolved since that time that you've been here, just to kind of contextualize where we are. We're obviously in Chiang Mai right now, uh, but just to contextualize this, because this is pretty extraordinary. So I want you to paint that picture for people that have never been. So the nice thing is everything in that book or everything that we just talked about is still pretty on par. I think there's a lot of times you read something, you hear about something, you're like, oh, I'm too late. I missed it by a decade where prices have gone up so much that it's just no longer the same. Luckily in Chiang Mai, things have gone up maybe, maybe a few percent, maybe 10%, but it's, you know, it's still relatively um, the same. And it's still probably the cheapest place in the world that I would actually want to live. Well, that's the thing, right? The, the, the value proposition is cost of living to quality of life ratio. Right, and so one of the things that I've been amazed about is just the caliber, for example, the coffee shop culture here. I mean, this, in my opinion, is on par with any Western European capital city in terms of how seriously you know this coffee shop culture is and that kind of stuff. In addition to the restaurants and the quality of food and just the overall quality of living, it's incredible. And talk a little bit about the cost of living, though. Like when you throw out those kind of numbers. Uh, I mean, let's be specific about what the numbers are. What, what do you need to rent a, a furnished apartment and, you know, to, to live off of? Because um, sometimes 
people who haven't been here are just going to find it unbelievable. So I want you to be clear about what it is. So I'll tell you what I've spent so far today. Yeah. All right. So this morning I woke up and I went for this beautiful hike, you know, and then I had breakfast, I had lunch, I had two coffees, I had a cookie and, you know, it's, it's now about 4 or 5 p.m. now. Yeah. The hike was free. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, I rode my scooter there. Uh, if you want to rent a scooter, it's about $100 a month. It's about 3000 baht a month. But the, the travel hack is if you're here for two months or longer, you can buy a scooter and then you can sell it back for the exact same price. And I've done this now probably 10 times uh, where things, you know, the, the nice thing about scooters is they don't lose any value, especially not within a year or two. So I bought mine for about 600 bucks and I'll sell it for 600 bucks. Um, so, you know, that's pretty much free. But if I wanted to, I could have taken a local shared taxi. They call them song towels. They're these taxi trucks that have uh, two rows of seats in the back. And that is 20 baht per ride, which is about, you know, 60 cents. Uh, it's, you know, right currently it's, it's about 31 baht to the dollar. It's convenient. You just walk out, flag one down, you give them your 60 cents. They take you anywhere in the city. Ubers are sometimes even cheaper, but what's you know really nice is a 20 minute Uber ride will probably cost you less than $2, which is amazing because, you know, there's the same ride in really any other city is going to cost you, you know, 10, 15 bucks, but you know, which you wouldn't think is that bad, but here it's just so cheap that it's convenient to do so. Yeah. Um, It's it's amazing. And the food, the food is unbelievably good in Thailand. I mean, this is a, a, a incredible cuisine and most people have probably eaten at Thai restaurants so they have a sense of what that food is like. But here, uh, obviously in Thailand, it's pretty much better than anywhere else in the world where they try to reproduce Thai food. Um, so it's amazing, but the cost is just unbelievable. I mean, you can get a, you know, a seafood entree, like a shrimp curry with rice dish for between two and $3 US. Yeah. So, well, I mean, for example, you know, went on this hike. It's beautiful. Uh, and then I had a coffee uh, on top, actually, at the temple. And I think it was 40 baht, uh, which is $1.29. Yeah. And it was a decent coffee. It wasn't the greatest, but it was at a temple on the mountain. Walked back down, and I had a Thai breakfast, which is um, basically fried basil leaves with pork over, over rice. And I got two eggs with it. And that was 57 baht, which is a dollar and 83 cents. So imagine sitting down in a restaurant, ordering, you know, your favorite Thai basil uh, dish and and getting two eggs on the side for a dollar 83. Yeah. And right next to it, there was a coffee shop that happened to have some really good books. They're all, all the books were in English. So I read The Lonely Planet Guide to Nepal, sat there, ordered a coffee and it was 45 baht, which is a dollar 45, but it was the best Americano I've actually had anywhere in the world. Better than San Francisco, better than Los Angeles, better than New York. Yeah, the coffee culture here is unbelievable. Uh, and as a result, right, you're getting very high quality coffee beans and you're, they have very high end, you know, espresso machines and, and everything else. I mean, they do the baristas, do the, you know, all the different pour overs and the different, you know, types of making coffee and everything that you could do. So the coffee, I mean, you'll oftentimes could have a coffee that's more expensive than an entire meal because if you go to a high end coffee place, but but that that is available here. I mean, the, so the, the caliber of the food and, you know, all of that stuff is 
is just incredible. But then, I mean, accommodations, this is what's going to blow people away, right? I mean, you can get a decent accommodation for what, a furnished apartment for a month for what? So here's the thing is it's almost kind of unfair to, to compare it because in the U.S., wherever you are, it's not going to be furnished. You're still going to have to pay, you know, all, you know, like imagine if you wanted to stay somewhere just for two or three months. It's just not even possible. You'd have to go out and buy furniture. You'd have to hook up your water, your cable, your internet. You'd have to, you know, pay, you know, a couple of months deposit, go through security checks. You have to do all this stuff. And it wouldn't even be an option. So the only real option in the U.S. would be to get an Airbnb or to get an executive apartment and just get ripped off on it. But here, you know, if you were just, to, you know, you could sh- literally just show up, walk around. And if you wanted a one, you know, kind of as a studio apartment, something basic, almost kind of like living out of a hotel room, but it's clean, it's furnished, it's in a good location, you can get it for 200 bucks a month. And nowhere in the U.S. can you do that. But, you know, and, and it's the thing. And actually, that's probably my most popular video on YouTube is when I just filmed my $200 a month apartment because I was so excited. I wanted to share it with everyone. And it's a great location. It's pretty much the equivalent of living on Third Street Promenade if you're in Santa Monica or living in Manhattan, you know, <clears throat> in kind of like the East Village in Manhattan. It is surrounded in that one square kilometer, which is half a mile, half a mile block. You have probably 20 coffee shops, 30 restaurants, two co-working spaces, two malls, a movie theater, a couple different gyms. And it's like the prime location for 200 bucks a month if you want a basic place or if you wanted a penthouse, you wanted like a luxury condo. That is that has a doorman that has a gym that has a you know has a sauna a swimming pool and you wanted a big space you wanted <clears throat> a separate bathroom you know a separate shower a separate bathtub you wanted you know king size bed and um, separate living room you're paying less than a thousand bucks a month and that is to a lot of people like I either get one or two things. I either get people, you know, from places like the U.S. that are like, "That is a steal! I can't believe you're getting that for less than a thousand bucks a month." But you also get people who are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you're paying a thousand dollars a month in Thailand." Yeah. There are places, you know, I'm only paying a hundred fifty, you know. But it's it's really you know what your priorities are. If you want, if you wanted to live a suburban life in Chiang Mai and you don't mind being ten minutes out of the city, you can get a four bedroom house for three hundred bucks. A month. Yeah, that, that is unbelievable. And so I think that that's really the, the cost of living. Because there's a number of cheap places in the world that are inexpensive to go to. But the quality of life here to the cost of living, that ratio is perhaps the most optimized that I've seen anywhere in the world, which is probably why this has blossomed into probably the number one, certainly one of the top, but probably the number one hub for digital nomads, people that either are or want to become location-independent business owners. Yeah, it definitely is number one. I mean, people keep saying there's other places or better places, and I've been excited to find it because I like variety, and I also wanted an alternative just in case, you know, I don't want to come here anymore or 
Thailand doesn't want us here anymore. So I've been to all those places. I've been in Berlin. I've been in Bali. I've been to, you know, the Canary Islands. I've been to Austin, Texas. You know, pretty much anytime someone says, hey, this is the next Chiang Mai or this is better, you know, Saigon, just like literally dozens of places now. I'll go and I'm like, yeah, it's okay. But Chiang Mai is way better. So, so talk a little bit about how Chiang Mai has evolved into that since you've been here. Because you've been in Thailand um, for over a decade now or based here or spent a lot of time here. So what have you seen in terms of the evolution of the sort of the digital nomad scene here? And, and paint a little bit of picture of what the actual community dynamics are like here. Because that's one of the things I've been most impressed with. Yeah, so none of that existed when I was first here. Uh, t- you know, 10 years ago, it... It, I'm sure you know there was one or two people somewhere, but there was no term. No, nobody talked about it. It wasn't really until 2013. Uh, I, you know, had written that book, 12 Weeks in Thailand, and I just decided to join a co-working space because it had just opened. It was the first one in Chiang Mai, called Pun Space, which we actually just one block away from right now as we're, as we're speaking. It was the first one, and they had 10 members, and that was it. That was pretty much the extent of the digital nomad scene in Chiang Mai or maybe even Thailand. You know, maybe in total there might have been, you know, twenty people, but it was small. And we didn't call ourselves digital nomads. We tried to call ourselves location independent entrepreneurs. Never stuck too long with name. But it was fun. You know, it was just a couple of us, you know, hanging out, trying to figure out how can we make enough money online or location independently where we can continue living you know, a good life. And a lot of us started with e-commerce. We started selling, you know, physical items in the U.S., uh, either through the dropship model. Some people started getting into Amazon FBA, you know, just all sorts of different types of businesses. Um, But it wasn't really until, you know, a lot of people like myself started talking about it really publicly, you know, that people started finding it. People started coming. I started uh, my podcast, Travel Like a Boss, and that's now been three years, you know, and people were, um, you know, 189 episodes now. A lot of it was in Chiang Mai. And a lot of people from the early days, they heard the podcast or they watched my videos on YouTube or they found my blog and they thought, wow, Chiang Mai looks pretty cool. Let me, let me come and check it out. And it's kind of a, a weird thing because it's like the chicken or the egg, what came first? Because there was such a good community in Chiang Mai, Anytime someone new would come, they would just fall in love with the community and they're like, okay, this is the best place. Let's stay here. Let's invite our friends. Let's tell everyone how great it is. Uh, Versus, you know, there might be a great place somewhere else in the world. Like, for example, the Canary Islands is great. But because there there isn't a huge community there yet, you know, people are like, I'm excited to go there. They get there. They don't, you know, meet that many other people. And it just doesn't take off. So, you know, by far, the community is probably the strongest point of Chiang Mai. And it just happens to be a great place to live as well. So uh, it's kind of a, a mixture of both. Yeah. I, you know, I was totally amazed because I had never been here before I came to speak at the Nomad Summit a few weeks ago. And I decided that if I'm going to go to Chiang Mai, I'm going to stay for at least six weeks and hang out and check this place out. Uh, and, you know, when I came, I was just you know, welcomed in and just invited to all kinds of stuff. And I was amazed to see the infrastructure that there is in Chiang Mai. So there is, you know, every Monday night, there is a board game night. And there's like 40 
plus people that turn out to play board games at this one, you know, uh, cafe every single Monday night. And then there's like the Nomad Coffee Club every Friday and they have skill shares and people that are um, you know, you know, teaching folks or, or sharing how to do things and whatnot. And there's networking events and there's a, a like a YouTuber video meetup every Wednesday night. Or there's this, but it's it's so structured and it's so welcoming and inviting and publicly available to be included. You know, and I, I had people just reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, we'd love to have you come out to dinner with, you know, this group of people or, or come hang out with this group or whatever. And so I had all of these lunches and dinners and meetings and stuff. And some of it was business related stuff like, hey, let's talk about this or I do this or I'd like to, you know, maybe we could do this together. And some of it was just like, hey, welcome to Chiang Mai. Like there's this music festival this week and, you know, we're uh, I'm DJing or I'm this or, you know, want to want to roll with us or whatever. So it was just an amazing sort of, you know, welcome into the city. I was, I was totally blown away. Yeah. The best way to describe it is it feels like the first year at college, you know, everybody's open to meet each other. Everybody's willing to hang out. Not everybody's going to have a positive experience. You know, there's some people that just hate it, you know, and you know, one out of 500 people are like, Oh, Chiang Mai is terrible. You know, I don't want to go there, but Hey, it's not for you, but it's fine, right? Uh, but what's nice about Chiang Mai is that there's so much happening. People are really open, really inclusive. So if you go out of your way to, to you know, look for events, you go, you know, I mean, nobody's going to come knocking your door and say, "Hey, you know, come come to this meetup." But they're available. You know, do you just search on you know Facebook or on you know really anywhere and just say. Or just ask around and say, like, what's happening? Yeah, yeah, amazing. So, okay, so let's go back to your uh, journey there. So you, 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 we, we left off. You had sort of found out how you could turn your blog into an ebook. You started monetizing that, and it gave you sort of the aha moment that you your content was delivering value to people. There were people that would pay for it, uh, and that if you continue to you know deliver value and that sort of stuff, that you could continue to monetize that. So, what was where did that sort of light bulb moment? then take you what was your next trajectory after that well throughout my life i've come across a couple you know forks in the road and a lot of them had to do with should i publicly share this or should i just hoard this information for myself and not create competition or not put myself too out there and one of them was when i first started my dropshipping store and i started making money from it and i thought this is great you know i'm making a full-time u.s salary you know, or the equivalent of while living in Thailand, I'm, you know, working from my computer. This is amazing. I love it. Should I talk about this on my blog? Can you, can you, before you go on to just tell us what your decision was, can you just explain what drop shipping is for people that aren't familiar with that business model? Yeah. So drop shipping is a fulfillment model where instead of physically buying inventory up front and physically having to ship it to a customer when they purchase it, you make a deal with a supplier or a distributor, you know, and you basically become a an authorized dealer for a product. So have you ever seen a website that says manufacture direct or we ship, um, you know, actually, you know what? I think probably most, most things you've bought online nowadays has either come from a dropship supplier or from Amazon. It's, it's pretty much the only way to buy things online anymore. Like very few people have their own warehouses anymore. Very few people are, you know, packing something from their office and shipping it to you when you buy it. Pretty much everything is sitting, you know, in someone else's warehouse and shipped out when you buy it. So, uh, it's an easy way to, be able to sell physical items without first purchasing uh, the inventory up front, which is a big 
you know, burden of cost and storage, but also a way where you don't have to be there to ship it or, you know, even accept returns because someone else is doing it for you, which makes it easy or possible at least to do while you're in places like Thailand. Okay, so the concept would be, uh, let's say I had a T-shirt. Let's say the T-shirt that you're wearing right now, the Digital Nomad Nutritional Facts, which is an outstanding T-shirt, which would probably appeal to a lot of digital nomads. So let's say if I wanted to sell that T-shirt to digital nomads, um, and I said, okay, cool, and I get a, a picture and image of that, and I run a Facebook ad in front of a bunch of digital nomads, and a bunch of people say, I want to buy that, and they click on it, and they say, I want to buy it, uh, then I could just have the T-shirt company fulfill the order. I would send it to them, and and they would send it to the digital nomad. So all I'm doing is basically marketing it, identifying a cool product, identifying the audience that would want to buy it, selling it, creating a margin in there, and then somebody else fulfills it. Exactly. And you can do this. What's the, the kind of beauty of it is you, you don't have to do it with just T-shirts. You can literally do it with anything in this room. So we're sitting in a conference room and there's office chairs. You know, And a lot of people don't think that you can sell leather office chairs because – You'd have to spend a lot of money buying it or they're too big or heavy to ship. But what you can do is you can figure out who makes office chairs, you know, and you could identify the brand. Uh, you can basically just call up the supplier and say, hey, I really want to sell your office chairs on my website. Can I become an authorized dealer for you? And if you can get approved as, you know, as, a, as a dealer, they'll give you their wholesale price list and you're like, okay, this makes sense. Let me start running ads to these chairs. Somebody goes to your site, they buy the chair, they pay you first. So they pay you the full retail price, which might be $299. And you get the order, you get the $299 deposited in your bank. And then all you do is you log in your email, you forward that order to your supplier and say, hey, this person, Alan G in, you know, uh, in Chicago, bought three of these chairs. Uh, here's the order. Please ship it directly to him and please charge my credit card the wholesale price. So then what you're doing is you're basically just fulfilling that order. Uh, someone else is shipping it out that, you know, your customer, Alan, gets gets the chairs in the mail. He's happy and you keep the difference between your wholesale price and the retail price that your customer paid. Okay. So you studied, learned how to do this, looked into how to build a business model where you could do this, and then that was sort of your primary business model that you were putting your attention and your focus into in terms of generating income. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, at that point I was making kind of between three and seven thousand dollars a month in, in net profit from, you know, running uh, this you know, physical like furniture store business <laughs> while living in Thailand. Uh, I was probably selling between thirty and forty thousand dollars worth of actual revenue a month, which is racking up my credit card miles. So I was, you know, really happy, right? And I thought, this is amazing. Should I should I share this? And I thought, if I do, I'm going to create a bunch of competition. Uh, people might you know figure out my niche and just start you know trying to copy my store. But I thought, you know what? I, I have to talk about this. I, I can't just leave it in the dark. So I started blogging publicly about it. I started kind of sharing the tools that I use. You know, let's say uh, my, you know, um, my host, you know, the, like people would ask, you know, how do you make this website? How, you know, how do you design it? I said, well, you know, I use Shopify, you know, and people would ask, you know, why do you use that over WordPress or over um, big commerce or whatever? And I, then I would write articles about why I chose Shopify over these other ones. You know, people would ask, you know, what, how did I learn all this? I would say, I took a course. It's, you know, AntonMethod.com. You know, so I would say, well, what do you use when, um, for your credit card payment process? I'm like, well, I use Stripe, you know, and then, and basically I just became kind of the 
go-to guy online for how to start a dropshipping store, even though, you know, I was really just a student. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't you know, the guy teaching the course. I wasn't Anton, but you know, Anton's a busy guy and he had a paid course. So, you know, you can, if you joined it, you can ask some questions, but for kind of the rest of the internet who is just starting out and they're like, yeah, I don't really know if I want to, you know, dedicate that much. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious what you're doing. That was my blog. And what was really good is when people, you know, would join his course and, and start, um, their own stores, they can kind of follow my, my public journey and then know what I'm actually talking about, know what I'm actually doing. Right, right. And so then you're, and so what happened? Did it create competition and people uh, affecting your business or what was the result? Yeah, so it definitely did. Uh, but the nice thing is when you become an authorized dealer for a, a big brand that's kind of respected, they normally don't want to have, you know, 20 different internet dealers. A lot of times, you know, as long as you're selling all the products and you're providing good customer service, you can just call them and say, hey, can you just do me a favor and just don't approve any other suppliers? You know, don't approve any other online-only stores because, we, you know, they're, they're going to be running the same type of ads as me. We don't really need the competition. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, like, you know, like we're, we're, we're good. We're selling on Amazon. We're selling on your store and we're selling to people on a wholesale level or uh, to physical stores, but you can be our exclusive online distributor or our, you know, exclusive online um, website selling, you know, or, you know, you and the three other kind of big ones that have been established already. And that's, that was kind of the, a big saving grace for people trying to come into my niche to try to copy. But to be honest, I would have made a lot more money if I wasn't publicly sharing that information because it did, you know, create some competition. It, you know, it created some headaches. Um, and also I wasn't a hundred percent focused on just building that business. I was dividing my time between helping other people get started, you know, sharing the journey openly and then also running my actual e-commerce business. So in the beginning, I thought, I don't know if this is worth it. Maybe I don't know if I should have done this, but I was down the rabbit hole already and I just kept going with it. And I'm glad I did because, you know, years later I realized even though it was really exciting for me to learn how to start an online business, how to drop ship uh, physical items, it wasn't going to be you know, my passion for the rest of my life to just run and operate stores. It was pretty good money, uh, and it's something I was really grateful that I did, and I would continue doing it today if I didn't have my other you know, businesses happening. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people who are just 100% content. They're like, I don't need to do anything else. You know, I'm, I'm happy making five grand a month doing this. I don't need to you know, f- you know, start another business. I don't need to start a podcast. I don't need to start a blog. I'm happy. And I would say the majority of people that got into e-commerce uh, are in that in that basket. Uh, but for me personally, I'm really happy that I started opening and sharing everything um, online because that gave me kind of the framework and the formula where I thought, hey, if I can uh, share this and then make money uh, through monetizing the you know the links and the recommendations uh, with affiliate partnerships and through ads and things like that. I wonder if I can do this in other niches. And I started doing experiments. You know, I thought, hey, what if I monetize my Muay Thai blog the same way? You know, what if I, um, you know, do it, you know, for my my Kindle publishing business and share how I marketed my Kindle book and how I made money from my Kindle book. 
And I started kind of doing that with every source of uh, online income. I started doing that with my investments. I started doing that with, um, you know, really just all aspects of my life. And I, and I figured out, I was like, man, I can make more money from my blog just I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, that physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I wanna offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. You know, being that guinea pig and sharing my journey openly than I can, you know, even just running a business full time. And so how did that sort of manifest? I mean, were you starting to uh, develop coaching clients that wanted to pay you for your expertise and you were building audience or were you, you know, how were you monetizing that audience that you were building through, through teaching what you were doing? Yeah. So I definitely did get some coaching clients, um, you know, at first I was charging a hundred bucks an hour and I was like, I was pretty much booked up all the time and I didn't have time for anything else. So I just kept raising that price until people stopped booking me up. So currently right now it's at 175 bucks an hour and I only get like one person a month that is willing to pay that, but that's actually what I want. I don't really want to trade my time for money. So, you know, if that starts getting booked up, then I'll raise it to 200 to kind of just prevent that. I'm a big believer in passive income, things that you can do once and continue to get paid for. So instead, I would film courses, I would, um, you know, just direct people to other courses and, you know, or create things like my email autoresponder, create videos and create things that are genuinely valuable, but also are evergreen and repeatable. And I think that's the kind of big takeaway from that is in the beginning, it's good to, you know, to do the one-offs. But eventually, if you want to free up your time and be able to, to get to the next level, but also create multiple streams of passive income, you really have to take yourself out of that equation or at least do things where you can automate it. So you created basically information products that you were then able to sell, which then didn't take up your own time because you already put your own time into creating the info product and then that could just continue to sell itself and residualize income for your expertise. Yeah, exactly. And to give you know people kind of a clearer picture, uh, when I... You know, from 2013 to 2015, for those first two years, I made pretty much all my money through actually running the business. You know, so I made, you know, probably actually close to, I'll say, you know, between fifty plus thousand a year, just from actually running my dropshipping businesses, which was kind of you know what I made back home at my corporate job. So it was awesome. I was able to from Thailand, uh, I was able to rack up all these credit card born miles. I was really happy with it. And then in 2015. 2016, I think, uh, just like a year or two ago, when I started transitioning away, I made 91000 from my actual dropshipping store where I was actually you know, running that business, but then I made $201,000 from my info products. So that was the big shift where I was like, you know what? 
$91,000 is, is great. You know, I'm really happy to be able to make 90 grand, but you know, that's me trading my time for money and that'll probably never grow past that. But if I can make 200,000 doing things that are scalable and repeatable and you know, really things that I, I enjoy more. You know, I really like helping other people get started. I like sharing information. I like creating uh, info products and creating, you know, uh, ways that people can learn and grow themselves. I'm going to focus on that. So what were your information products that sold $200,000 that year? So what was great is a lot of them weren't things that I made myself. Actually, most of the info products I made myself were free giveaways for if somebody used, for example, if you, you know, wanted to sign up for Shopify and used my link shopify.com slash johnnyfd, not only would you get 20% off, but then I'll give you access to uh, this you know, free guide or course of how to set up your Shopify store. So you would incentivize people to use your affiliate links for various different products and services, and then your content would be free, and then you would get paid by the vendor because someone used your affiliate link. Exactly. And like even today, you know, I have a... And, and here's kind of the second hack for it. Instead of being paying for hosting of these free courses... I would just put them on Udemy, which is a, a free course creation, you know, s- template software online kind of a marketplace where anybody can create a course. They make it really easy. You know, they don't charge you anything, but they take a, a percentage of uh, of sales. So I put all these courses on Udemy, and sometimes people just find it and they would just buy it. So then I was another stream of income. But what I really used it for was, you know, I can say, hey, if you if you use my link AntonMethod.com to sign up for Anton's dropshipping course and you forward me the receipt, I'll give you access to this $50 course that I made, you know, or I think actually at the time, you know, I had it set at like, you know, $100 or whatever it was, this $100 value. And I say, you can get this jumpstart course for free that just walks you through kind of the the best ways of what I've personally learned in my experience on how to go through the course, how to have the best chance of success and how to, you know, not waste time, how to goal set. And a lot of it was more, you know, goal setting and mindset, you know, versus the teaching behind it. Because I figured instead of me creating a course on how to start a dropshipping store, which would take me literally months to create because there's so much information, uh, why not just refer them to the expert that taught me how to do it and then you know, give them an incentive to use my link. So not only do I get credit for them signing up, but also they can have a bonus where they actually have access to someone who's been successful through the course and they can get some insights on, on how to be successful themselves. Now, so, okay. So you have multiple streams of income going on, uh, and you've established a whole series of different, you know, uh, information products or affiliate relationships, as well as your dropshipping business, all of which were generating income. And so you were diversified through a lot of different streams. So then let's talk about the, uh, how the podcast and uh, podcasts, plural, uh, came about. First, let's talk about the travel, like a boss podcast. How did you decide to start that and explain to people what the framework is for that? Yeah, so while I was doing e-commerce, uh, I just randomly met this guy that had a podcast called, uh, I think, Build My Online Store. And he was like, oh, you do e-commerce? And that's cool that you do it while in Thailand. Can I interview you? And I thought, yeah, sh- sure. You know, And I thought it was going to be a big deal going to a studio or something. And when he pulled out his laptop and he was like, all right, let's do it upstairs. <laughs> I thought, wow, that was easy. That was fun. I want to do that too. And I never really thought about how to make money from it. 
I just thought it'd be cool to share these experiences because I was in a this very unique situation before digital nomad was a big term of meeting people who were actually doing it. And I wanted to be able to have an excuse to sit down with them for an hour and ask them all the questions that I was curious about and how they make money online, how they travel. And I wanted to be able to share that. And that's how that podcast started. And you interview location-independent entrepreneurs on the podcast. You've had uh, a lot of very interesting people on that podcast. You and I obviously basically first had our first extended conversation when you invited me as a guest on your podcast. Uh, And then from there, you invited me to speak at the Nomad Summit and all of that. And now we're here. And then one of the amazing things, uh, when I got to the Nomad Summit and I was speaking with all these attendees of the Nomad Summit, you know, I, you know, I was asking people, it's like, you know, where are you from and what do you do and why are you here kind of thing? And just to get people's stories. And they were all very interesting. But a number of people, you know, were from, I mean, all different places. I mean, you know, from Alaska or from Iowa or from, you know, places outside the U.S., like in the Middle East, you know, someone from Iran that I talked to, someone from, I mean, just all over the place. And, you know, I said, well, how long have you been in Chiang Mai? And a number of these people said, well, I just got here a couple of weeks ago, came in for the summit, and I'm going to plan to stay now that I'm here and try to, like, you know, build my, you know, business or figure out what I want to do and all that. And I said, you're from, you know, fill in the blank place that's really far away from here. How did you learn about this and why, you know, how did you come all the way here? And I mean, it would literally, I mean, talk to people like, you know, I, I work construction in Alaska. And now, you know, I'm like, you're here. I say, how did you figure out about this? He said, well, I listened to Johnny's Travel Like a Boss podcast. And every day when I'm going to work, I would listen to the podcast. So I learned about Chiang Mai. And I learned it was a digital nomad hub. And this is what I want to do. And I want to figure out how to build a location-independent business and how to get out of my, you know, geographically restrictive, you know, thing that I'm currently in. So I have some time off. It's off-season now. So I thought I would come here, come to the conference, and basically see if I could, st- you know, try to stay for a few months and see if I could get a path towards that out of the community and the inspiration that is in Chiang Mai. So, I mean, I was amazed at the people that knew to come to this city just by listening to your podcast from all over the world. Yeah, and it's been amazing meeting these people in person, especially the people who come back to me and, you know, year after year, they're like, yeah, I've been to the summit now, you know, three years in a row. And, you know, when I first came, I had no idea what I was doing, you know, made some friends, ended up partnering with somebody I met that was sitting next to me. Now we have this business. Now we're traveling the world, you know, and I just come back every year just to, you know, kind of just to, just to be here. And it's really inspiring how, how podcasts like yours and the Travel Like a Boss just, you know, can reach people all over the world that normally wouldn't have anyone to talk to about this subject. And I bet a lot of you are shaking, you know, head right now. You're nodding along saying, yeah, you know, I can't talk to my, my other friends about this because they think I'm crazy. You know, all they want to do is go out and drink. All they want to do is, you know, talk about, you know, the news or what's happening in the world or, you know, about Donald Trump. And nobody wants to talk about business. Nobody wants to talk about location independence. Nobody wants to even talk about, you know, um, you know, the alternatives to, to life, you know, and pe- people's idea of vacation is, you know, one week or two weeks, go to Vegas, party it up, or, you know, go to some all-inclusive vacation somewhere. You know, nobody's talking about, hey, it's cheaper to live in Chiang Mai than it is, you know, and run a full-time business than it is to, you know, just be in the U.S. even. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, when you do those interviews, I, I mean, you get to speak to people that are location independent, but all over the place. I remember when you and I did our interview, I was in Tokyo and you were in the Canary Islands. I mean, that's just an incredible way, I think, to get, you know, learn from other location independent entrepreneurs. Where are they? What are they doing? All this kind of stuff. So I'm definitely, we're definitely going to put the link to that podcast in the show notes. And, and speaking of which, you also are, you know, not just uh, based in full, Chiang Mai full time and you live here and stay here. You actually are pretty itinerant in terms of, you know, where you've spent time and that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little bit about your personal sort of travel lifestyle and how you structure that? Yeah. So for many years, I was just in Chiang Mai or just in Thailand, you know, and I loved it until I started making enough money where I was like, you know what? Europe is nice in the summer. Let me go check it out. And I realized, hey, Europe's a big place. <laughs> Let me explore a bit. And I would say, you know, as of two years ago, that's been my kind of my yearly pilgrimage, I guess, to, to Europe where, you know, I, there's so many places to check out. I mean, you know, and the thing is, if you've been to, you know, a couple of these places on a vacation, it's so different than living there for a month or two. And that's my new goal. Uh, what I've been doing for the last couple of years is, I will go to a country and stay there for two months, you know, to stay there for three months. And really, as long as I'm happy, then, you know, if I start getting bored, if I want to move on, I'll move on. Uh, but it's a nice balance between staying in one place year round or just bouncing around all the time and just being exhausted traveling. You know, I think the every month move for me is a bit much. Uh, I really like developing a routine. So for me, it's perfect to go, you know, to place for two months. For example, this year, I'm um, in Chiang Mai for two months, Nepal for one month, and then I'll be uh, in you know summer in Europe for the whole summer, maybe four months. Uh, I'll probably spend you know a month in Greece, a month in you know either Poland or Lithuania or something, uh, maybe a, a month in you know Spain. And then um, a month back in the U.S. to see some friends and family, and then you know, then maybe two more months back in Chiang Mai or something like that. And that's been a, a really nice kind of schedule uh, for me. And actually, if you're really interested in it, you know, I do these like year round, um, year end roundups of every country I went to month by month. So I just wrote my 2018 one. Uh, you go to johnnyft.com and just look for that. Uh, but uh, sorry, 2017 wrap up. Uh, then I, I had one for, you know, I think last year I went to eight countries. Um, and then in 2016, two years ago, I actually went to, I think it was something like 13 countries. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was fun. Like it's, it's, this is a lifestyle that I don't think would have been possible in our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation, you know, so we really should just take advantage of it because we can it is it is amazing, yeah, and I agree with you on the on the length of stay and and that kind of stuff. I mean, most of the places I go, I try to stay for at least a month or two, right? In Chiang Mai, I'm going to be here probably almost seven weeks, right? Um, and definitely plan to come back. I mean, this is an incredible place, but I agree. I think you get very different cultural experiences. You know, last year I was in. South America for about five months, you know, in, in different places. And that's a very uh, amazing, but very different cultural experience than you get in Asia, right? And then the, you know, Europe, I as well uh, am going to be uh, over in Europe uh, floating around a good bit for the summer. Um, and uh, you and I are both going to be are you going on the Nomad Cruise. Yeah. And the reason why I say I'll be somewhere in Europe for four months is because I'm going to leave it open-ended, you know, and that's what's cool about 
this lifestyle is whoever I end up meeting or hanging out with on that cruise. And, you know, I'll just end up just traveling with for a month or two, you know, and who, who knows? Yeah, we'll drop a link in the show notes uh, for the Nomad Cruise, but they do it basically, I think, twice a year. They're trying to do it now. Yeah, so now they're doing uh, a shorter one, you know, in Europe that, you know, is about 10 days or so. Uh, and then they're going to have a transatlantic cruise, I think, some you know, somewhere in November or something that goes from Europe to South America. You know, that's just incredible to see the proliferation of those types of events uh, and those types of opportunities and the integration of that with the lifestyle. And if you do it right, um, you know, you can, you know, likely write that off as a business expense if you're, you know, building business relationships, presenting, developing clients or whatever it may be. Right. So, uh, you know, they're, they're structuring these really incredible things that integrate with the types of lifestyles that people are looking for. And, you know, they, these types of things just continue to proliferate. Right. Like when you were in the Canary Islands, which I heard is also an upcoming hub. I've never been to the Can- I've, Canary Islands. I've lived in Spain for about three months, but uh, th- those are still on my list to hit. Um, but I've heard about this Nomad City. Were you there for that? Yeah, I was there. So that was, I, I don't know if it was their first or second year doing it, uh, but it was just a way to get people to come, you know, give people an excuse to go to Gran Canary, which is the kind of nomad island of, uh, of Spain. And, you know, like and it was just perfect because it was right before the nomad cruise left so people would kind of have this excuse i'm gonna go there a few weeks early i'm gonna check out grand canary see if i like it i'm gonna go to this nomad city event and then i'm gonna go to uh you know go hop on the ship to nomad cruise and go to south america and that was the reason why i went to grand canary is not even because i was going to either event it was really just because I knew all my friends were going to be there. So I ended up going to Nomad City. Uh, I didn't end up going on the cruise that time because I, I really liked Grand Canary. I wanted to stay. And I was honestly a bit tired from traveling. I didn't, you know, I, the last thing I wanted to do was move again. Um, but there are so many cool things. I mean, like, put it on your list, put it on your calendar. I'm going to go on Nomad Cruise. I'm, there's Nomad Train now, which takes you uh, across Trans Siberian Railroad. And then, of course, go to the Nomad Summit. Yeah, for sure. And it's amazing how these communities sort of, you know, interlink. So we just mentioned we're, we're both at Nomad Summit here in Chiang Mai, and we're both going to be on the Nomad Cruise. Uh, and there was other speakers at the summit who are also going to be on the cruise, uh, and certainly participants who are going to be there. And so it's very interesting how this inner international community of nomads is they're creating events and sort of annual things where you can continue to see the same people on different continents or at different experiences. It's incredible. And what I really like is the type of people that go to these conferences and, you know, are willing to spend their time and their money doing so. They are the the people you want to you hang out with, or at least the people that I like hanging out with. People that are positive, that have abundance mindsets, that are you know fun to be around. You know, there's so much negativity online nowadays, and unfortunately, some of that even trickles down to places like Chiang Mai, where there are people that can't afford to to travel, so they just say, "Oh, all that stuff is you know a waste of money. You know, it's overpriced. You know, there's you know, you know, and there's always reasons or excuses to." you know, to nitpick and say, oh, you know, that's terrible. That's, this is terrible. But the people that come, they're like, this is awesome. And what's amazing, I see it firsthand. The people that come have a much better chance of being successful the next year because not only are you learning, you know, information that is, you know, new and relevant in person versus, you know, watching an old video online while you're, you know, you know, 
you, ha- you have another window open on, your, on Facebook, but just being there, then getting to meet the speakers afterwards and just seeing the real people, asking them the questions you want to ask them. And more importantly, being, you know, surrounded by other people who are in the same boat, you know, meeting the other attendees, you know, that are open-minded and, you know, you know, wanting to better themselves, wanting to learn, willing to invest themselves. Those are the people you want to be around. Right. So, so t- let's talk about how the Nomad Summit uh, evolved, uh, how you decided to uh, start that, found that, build that, grow that. Uh, take us from the first ever Nomad Summit and to what it is today. Yeah. So four years ago, I you know, was in Chiang Mai. And even though I had my, my group of friends, you know, uh, there wasn't a really easy way for all the nomads of Chiang Mai that had started coming to really meet each other. Uh, it wasn't until some random, I don't even know who it was. Some, someone was like, hey, let's all get together at this bar. Uh, we'll have like a nomad party, right? And I thought it was like, this is great. There's like 50 people here. You know, I'm meeting all these nomads I didn't even know were in Chiang Mai. Uh, this is amazing. The only problem was it was really loud because it was at a nightclub <laughs> and everybody was drunk. So I was like, I don't know if we're going to remember anything tomorrow, uh, but this is a cool concept. And I just thought, hey, how cool would this be if we had this somewhere quiet? So somewhere, you know, people can actually talk to each other. Somewhere people can actually, you know, um, share ideas. And I think that's actually when I started with the Nomad Coffee Club, where I was like, you know what? Let me just make a deal with a coffee shop and say, hey, can we just come? We'll buy coffee. And I want to be people, you know, I want people to be able to share ideas and have it be free so people can go. And that's still going strong. It's been four years. Every Friday, people still meet in Chiang Mai, uh, you know, teach each other what they have to learn, meet each other. It's amazing. And at the same time, I thought, you know, it would be even better if we had a you know, we rented like a seminar room or something, you know, I gave people a projector and, you know, really just made it easy for people to learn and, and teach and share what they, you know, what's working. And I was like, you know what, let me, let me give this a shot. I had no idea if anyone would come. I, don't, I had no idea if anyone would even pay for it. So I put the deposit for the seminar room on my credit card and I was like, you know, let me take this chance. And Luckily, that first year, 120 people showed up, and we did it again. You know, we had two, 240, so doubled. Uh, last year, we had 350 show up, and then this year, we had over 400. We had 407 people show up, and it's just growing bigger and bigger and getting better and better every year. And it's it's against all odds too. Like it's, you know, one of those crazy things where. Now it it's really like a self fulfilling thing. I mean, I mean, we've had people buy tickets now for 2019 already because they want, they know they want to come back. Amazing, yeah. It was uh, I, I was thoroughly impressed with the caliber of the organization, the caliber of the you know uh, other speakers. A real privilege to be included among the uh, among the group of speakers there. And uh, I, you know, I've remained in touch with you know most of the speakers as well as you know a bunch of the attendees that I met. And it was just a super inspiring event. I mean, really, really great. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And you know, the, the feedback has been great. I mean, we, we asked, uh, we put a survey out there, and. It was something like 80% of people said that they either would recommend it to a friend or already had. And to me, that's the, the ultimate feedback. You know, that, that's, you know, who we really want to, to please. And then there's all those people that are like, oh, it's great. I don't even need to fill out the survey. Don't change anything. Uh, so 
<clears throat> really happy. So I would hope to see all of you guys 2019 Nomad Summit. Uh, and what's really cool, as Matt mentioned earlier, is people kind of use it as a marker or an excuse. Say, okay, I have a year to get my life in order. I have six months to, to figure things out. And I'm going to be in Chiang Mai no matter what. You know, I'm going to go there. I'm going I'm to make the move. You know, I'm going you know, to spend two months. I'm going to spend January and February there or December, January, February, whatever. And, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to... No matter what, I'm going to be there. Yeah, it's a great, I think, the Nomad Summit, for a number of people that I talked to there, it was kind of like this benchmark for them where they knew about it a year in advance, right? Because that's the one thing I like about what you guys are doing is you've already got the 2019 dates, right? I mean, can people even buy tickets already? Yeah, nomadsummit.com slash tickets. And, I mean, if anything, you know, when you you buy a presale ticket, that kind of just forces you in the back of your mind to be like, okay, well, I got a year to figure this out. Yeah, and, and so you've got a, you know, you've got all the time until that uh, uh, next year's Nomad Summit to figure out, and then when you come, how long can you stay for? So whatever that duration of time is, but by starting your immersion into Chiang Mai with the summit, right, uh, you get to just meet tons of people, and you get to seek out experts in whatever space it is that you're trying to move forward in, whatever type of business model you're trying to do, or things like that. There are people there, mostly likely who have done that are doing it uh, and can give you some tips on that as well as the whole lifestyle design transition. I mean, I've literally met and just had um, uh, wine last night, in fact, with um, young entrepreneurs. I mean, people early 20s who are here in Chiang Mai and are starting businesses. And one of the businesses uh, that someone is uh, uh, starting that I was hanging out with last night is basically helping people to transition to Chiang Mai. So basically putting together a package where we'll help you get your housing, your scooter, your your Wi-Fi, your all this stuff set up and how to get to Chiang Mai and get situated in the right neighborhood, in the right area and plug into all the nomad social networks. And they're basically putting together a package and and it's it's amazing. I mean, these 23-year-old entrepreneurs are here doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, there's there's so many things you can do. I mean, like it doesn't have anything, you know, Honestly, like, you know, things like that, like, I think that's going to fulfill a need for a lot of people who don't want to try to figure it out themselves. But at the same right. time, I actually encourage people to figure it out yourselves, you know, show up, um, you know, get a hotel for three days and just hit the ground running, figure it out yourself because you will learn so much from, you know, kind of grinding your teeth as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, everything is possible, Um and it's a magical place. I mean, and not just Chiang Mai, but really this this whole lifestyle is magical. So whatever it takes, it's incredible to see how the movement is is growing and proliferating, and all of this uh, all of this stuff and the intertwining of the network. So um, okay, so so let's also now you did a second book and you launched a second podcast. Can you talk about that evolution of those two things? Yeah. So my second book is called Life Changes Quick, and. That was really about my journey from, you know, the first book, 12 Weeks in Thailand, was about how to live cheaply in Thailand, $600 a month budget, how to follow your passions, whether it's Muay Thai or scuba diving. The second book, Life Changes Quick, was how to set goals to get to that next level. And my goal at the time, which I thought was going to be impossible, was to save up $30,000 because that's a Thai million dollars. And I knew if I can get that, if I can become a Thai millionaire, then I can basically live in Thailand for a long time without stressing my money. And I didn't know how I was going to get there. Uh, but throughout that book, it was kind of the journey of setting goals, figuring it out, you know, and it wasn't just with, I ended up not just being with money. It was just, you know, getting a shape, figuring out, you know, how to follow routine. And 
that was kind of the that big turning point. And now when looking back, it's crazy because thirty thousand to me now really isn't you know a lot of money anymore. Uh, it's like it's a especially because last year when I was really working hard, I would sometimes make thirty thousand dollars in a month in, in profit. But I'm so glad that book exists because if you told me that two, you know, three, four years ago, like, hey, 30 grand is not a big deal, you know, like, oh, I made that in a month, I not only wouldn't really believe you, but I also wouldn't know how to get started to even get to that point. So I'm so happy I documented that whole process of saying, this is how you go from basically zero. I had less than $1,000 in the bank. How do you go from zero to that big first hurdle? Because once you get over that hurdle, it becomes so much easier. Right. Um, and then you, your second podcast that you launched, Invest Like a Boss. Tell, talk a little bit about what that entails and how that evolved. Yeah. So what's really amazing about, you know, having the podcast, having the Nomad Summit, having, you know, just really blogging about everything really openly is it invites in a network of other, you know, successful people because they know you, they trust you, they see that you're giving so much value and they want to, you know, be a part of it. So, uh, you know, I had this this buddy of mine, uh, Sam Marks, who sold his company for, you know, close to a hundred million dollars, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And he said, Hey Johnny, you know, I'm, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to invest my money and all the information I'm getting from my financial advisor and online just sucks. You know, I want to, I want to start a podcast. So I have an excuse to call up experts and just interview them and just ask them the questions I want to know. And he said, you know, you know, you have a podcast. Um, can you help me out with it? And I was like, yeah, sure. So in the beginning, you know, I didn't expect anything in return. I was just giving him advice on how to start it, how to edit, what equipment he should buy. And he just said, hey, you know, why don't you just co-host this with me? Why don't we just, you know, become partners on this? And all of a sudden, I have a multimillionaire who has his his own huge network, you know, uh, you know, wanting to do a joint venture with me. And that has opened, you know, my world to not not only, you know, having access now to all these investors and CEOs of these big companies and, you know, uh, people that are worth tens of millions of dollars, you know, but it's given me access to information uh, on how to invest my money that now that I'm making a lot more and I have money to create you know, passive income through investing, which is really the ultimate source of passive income. Right. And you had me on the invest like a boss podcast as well, which was great. Cause when we were starting, you know, our, uh, getting to know each other and, uh, you were understanding what I do. You're like, I want to have you on both the travel like a boss podcast and the invest like a boss podcast. And so I was on there and we talked a lot about the Maverick, uh, uh, investor group, you know, model of helping people to buy turnkey rental properties, you know, in different us cities. So you're actually owning the hard real estate, uh, and you can do that from anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. So uh, I want to definitely throw in a link uh, to that episode. We'll put that in the show notes so you guys can hear uh, uh, me and J- if you want to hear me and Johnny uh, uh, talk more than we have right now, uh, you can hear us talk on his shows. Um, both much more about the um, the location independent, you know, travel stuff on the Travel Like a Boss episode, and then much more about the real estate investing stuff on the Invest Like a Boss podcast. And then that'll connect you in there so you can subscribe to his shows as well because he's got some. I mean, you've got some incredibly high profile guests that come on your show. I mean, James. 
names, Al Toucher and some of those guys. I mean, you know, really premium level guests. So definitely encourage you guys to uh, listen to some of that. Um, so, Johnny, you ready to move into the lightning round and kind of finish this Let's up with a few, uh, a few quick, uh, quick pointed questions? Okay. Now, you can take as long as you want to answer the questions. My questions are just going to be kind of short and succinct to you. Okay? The lightning round. In your time doing the Travel Like a Boss podcast, what is the biggest sort of lesson or takeaway that you've learned from your guests over the years? There's been so many, but basically, when you ask the right questions, you get the right answers. And for me, my personal net worth has grown because of the information that I asked them on the show. So when you're asking, you know, when you're interviewing someone, don't just think what your audience wants, ask, you know, just be selfish and be like, what do I want to know? Because chances are, every, you know, other people are going to have that same question. Okay. So taking off of that on the invest like a boss podcast, as you've been in, in asking these investors, all of these questions about how to do what they do, what have been your biggest takeaways or most successful investments for you, uh, in terms of the advice that you've gotten from all of these experts over the time doing the podcast? The best advice is to be invested and to be diversified as well. So, you know, now I'm, I have a nice split of, 40% like index funds, 40% real estate, and then the rest of it is in just random things that are non-correlated with either. And that way, no matter if the, the stock market is going to up, down, or sideways, I'm making money, or at least I'm keeping my money. And I think a lot of people are, are going to lose their shirts on you know being 100% invested in, in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. And a lot of people are going to miss out on a big opportunity by having 0% invested in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. So it's one of those things where you got you kind of have to have your your you know your hand in, in all pies if you want to really have the best chance of of hitting it big. What are your top 3 um podcasts that you listen to or they can be YouTube channels or blogs or something like that but shows or sources of information that you consume that add value top three so besides travel like a boss and invest like a boss and Maverick uh, I would say the ones I listen to the most is I really like how I built this uh, as well as success how I did it because these podcasts kind of break down big companies, you know, multi-million dollar companies and how they started that business. And that is what we can learn to get to the next level. Okay. When you were on your entrepreneurial journey that we just talked about over the last decade, um, what would be one book or resource that helped you out or inspired you the most that you would recommend or pass on to other people? Uh, it's hard to say because I think I, I learned something from, from really every book I read, but I really like Tony Robbins and, you know, not not just his old books, but his podcast nowadays, but really his live events. So I just came back from Date with Destiny, which was a $5,000 event, but it was absolutely worth it. So highly recommend that. Um, you know, I know it's it's not, you know, an easy thing for, for everyone to get to, but it's, it's definitely achievable. It's definitely a, a goal worth going to. And I really believe that if everyone in the world went to Date with Destiny and really immersed yourself in kind of, you know, went through those exercises, the, the whole world would be a better place and we'd all be individually happier and more successful. Okay. Uh, top two or three uh, travel destinations that you have been to that you would love to go back and spend more time or you would recommend other people definitely check out. So Thailand 
is it. I mean, I, I keep coming back every year. I have the option to go anywhere in the world. I keep coming back to Thailand. Favorite places in Thailand are Chiang Mai and pretty much all the islands. So Koh Lanta, uh, Koh Tao's fun, you know, Koh Penang. Definitely come to Thailand. Uh, as far as scuba diving, my favorite places have been Komodo and also the uh, Sipadan Islands in Borneo. Wow. Okay. So I have not been to either of those. So those are now making it on my list. All right. Bucket list travel destinations for you that you have not yet been to. What are the top three places on your list? I assume Nepal is number one because you're going next month. Yeah. So definitely Nepal. Uh, this year I'm doing Annapurna Circuit. Next year I plan on going back and doing Everest Space Camp. I'm excited for that. And I want to see the rest of, of Europe. I want to see, you know, I really want to spend time in every country in Europe. I think that's a big one. Uh, Galapagos is, is definitely up there, but it's uh, one of those things where I figure I can do anytime. It's, and no rush. It's not a nomad destination or anything. Definitely not. I actually did the Galapagos uh, last year, and it was epic. It's definitely a more expensive, uh, you know, opportunity because what they do is they limit the number of people that can come in every year. And so that lack of supply uh, allows them to charge a very high price and, you know, thereby to have a high level of control over the protecting of the ecosystem. Uh, but we were able to get in on some deal, somebody organized a group thing. And so we got in a lot less, uh, you know, for a lot lower than you normally can, but um, it was just just spectacular. If you're interested in going, I mean, book in advance, look for deals, all that kind of stuff. But we went um, out to, we flew out like two days before the, the we went on a, we, we had a four-night catamaran. Uh, and then we flew out two days before that left. And we went scuba diving from the land uh, on the first day because the, the catamaran was not a, a scuba trip, right? It wasn't a, a scuba trip. It was a snorkeling trip. So, um, we did, we wanted to go scuba diving. So we did one day of scuba diving from the land, on the, uh, you know, out and back. And then we went on the four night catamaran and that was basically you snorkel, um, every day, right. For like half the day you snorkel. And then uh, half the day is like a land kind of trek and you go with, you know, and you learn about all the animals and stuff, but it was, uh, unbelievable. I mean, one of the things that was insane about the Galapagos was that the animals, Basically, the ecosystem there is so protected that the animals are basically not scared of humans because there's no history of humans harming them at all. Uh, and the reason is because the they've basically never had that, right? So they've never had that history and they've never had to be afraid of that. And so when you go, you are able to swim with you know, sea lions and you're able to swim with sea turtles and they're just coming up to you and they're just swimming around you and they basically want to play with you. They don't view you as a predator. They're not like, you know, swimming away from you and that kind of stuff. So you basically have access to this highly protected ecosystem, which has all of these incredible animals that basically are, are, are welcoming you in to their ecosystem and just wanting to play with you and hang out with you. And so you respect them and you treat them with care and, and, and so forth. And they, they're very clear with you when you go into the Galapagos, you know, how to be around the animals and stuff uh, and respect their environment and all that. And so, you know, it, it continues to be a, a, a system where, where no harm comes to the animals. Um, and, uh, you know, you're able to just experience them in, in this incredible natural ecosystem. And it's 
one of the most unique places uh, in the world. And we saw, you know, such a diversity of animals. We got to swim with dolphins. Uh, we saw whales from the, you know, from the catamaran. We saw sunfish, manta rays, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you get to see some very interesting and very unique types of animals, too. So, for example, we saw marine iguanas, right, which I had no idea uh, what these things were. Uh, and so one day we're just out snorkeling and we, you know, uh, you know, we had gone on a hike in the morning and we went to this island and we see all of these marine iguanas. I don't know if you have ever seen or heard of about a marine iguana. I had not. I've only seen it on National Geographic or Discovery Channel, but it'd be great to see in person. Yeah, it's these giant piles of, of, of you know, dark colored iguanas. They're basically, most of them are like black colored iguanas and they're just laying on top of each other on this like black colored rock and they're just napping there and sleeping and the sun is on them and they just sleep for like half the day. And then we're snorkeling in the afternoon and what happens is at one o'clock they get up off the island, they come into the water and they just swim out. I mean like dozens, like hundreds of them just swimming out on top of the water towards you. And then they go straight down to the bottom and they swim down to the bottom and then they're just crawling around at the bottom and they're just eating food, like finding food. They're down there for like, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Uh, and then they come back up to the top. They swim back across the water to their rock and they go back and they just pile on top of each other and start sleeping again. It's insane. I love it. So it's definitely on my bucket list. Galapagos. Yeah, for sure. So it's amazing. So, all right. So, um, so, so with that, uh, Johnny, uh, I want to give people a way to be able to find you and to connect with you and also if people are interested in learning you know from your experiences and that kind of stuff i know you put a lot of stuff into a, a, a new course that you have out so give people the information on on how they can find that yeah so uh my my course has been like years in the making and if anything it's it's something that really is focused on people who want to monetize an online brand whether it's a blog a website youtube channel or social media following and it is like the inside secrets of everything I do, uh, everything that helped me make $200,000 last year from my affiliate, uh, commissions. And it's, it's all there. Uh, and we have a link for the listeners. If you want to to go there and check out the course. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes uh, and uh, you can go uh, to check out Johnny's uh, Income Boss uh, course. And then Johnny, if they want to see your you know, your, your blogs or to follow you on social media, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, super easy. JohnnyFD.com is my blog. If you're a hangout, you can, you know, since you listen to podcasts, just search for both Travel Like a Boss podcast as well as Invest Like a Boss and you can subscribe to those shows there. And we'll put the links to all that stuff in the show notes as well. Johnny, it's been fantastic. Uh, yet another uh, epic conversation, my friend. I thank you for being I on the show. I enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah. See you guys uh, hopefully out here in Chiang Mai 2019. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? 
Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing.